Our scripture passage this morning is found in Acts chapter 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked together. By trade, they were tent makers. Every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him in protest, he shook the dust from his clothes and he said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of the man named Titius Justus, the worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer in the Lord together with all his household. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week we were talking about the founding of the Thessalonians church and how even though, or, or probably better said because they were founded, it was founded in this crucible of persecution. It became a place of loving acceptance. Accepted into the family of God, they became a people who accepted others. If you missed that sermon, you can actually pause right now and, and, and click over and, and watch it because I think everyone should listen to multiple sermons on a Sunday. Today is, is kind of the photo negative of that story. Corinth, like Thessaloniki, was a, uh, was a port city. Uh, it's right there in, in the Greek islands. It's actually an isthmus. An isthmus? I've worked all week trying to get that word right, and I still messed up. Uh, if you don't know what an isthmus is, I, I would encourage you to, to, to stop and ask your kids if they're next to you, uh, uh, or you could go to Google's. Actually, now that I think about it, if, uh, if you're like me and have spent the last nine weeks with your children, you're, you're probably done hearing them at all. So just go straight to Google. It'll be a lot easier for you. What was I talking about? G Corinth. That's right. Uh, Corinth was a, a wealthy city built on, on trade with leather and marble. And it's a church that starts with, with relative ease. Paul stays there for 18 months. He gets some friends around him. He, he does have a little tantrum when he gets kicked out of the synagogue, which happened to him everywhere. Not, not so much the tantrum, but, but getting kicked out of the synagogue. That happens regularly, but here in Corinth, he has a tantrum. You would think he would be used to it by now. Very quickly, it seems, the church was growing and healthy. It had strong leadership and dedicated board members. They had started picking out matching choir robes and were looking at stained glass for their building. They had made it. Of course, things aren't always as they seem. Just like in Acts 17, Paul, after establishing the church, he heads out to another location. This time he takes Aquila and Priscilla with him, and they, they head off to Syria to get a haircut. 
It's actually in, in chapter 18, verse 18, if you're curious. And you know, a few months ago, I would have never thought of going to a, another country to get a haircut, but here it is a couple months later, and that's kind of starting to make sense to me. A few years have passed, and Paul gets a report. And it seems that the promise and the potential that was in the beginning hadn't worked out the way he had planned. We have in our Bibles the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and they are an editing of, of two or three or four letters that, that Paul wrote to the church back and forth. Uh, there's actually one letter that Paul makes reference to that, that has been lost to time. But it's a very different set of letters than what we found to the church in Thessalonians. And you know, there's a part of me that feels kind of bad for the church at Corinth. Because here it is 2,000 years later. These were written in 53 to 55 CE. 2,000 years later, and we're still reading about their dirty laundry. We're still reading their mail that, that includes these very personal details. And, and it's not really something that I would want spread about me for all of the church to read. They're not the most flattering of pictures. What we find in Corinth is a church that was broken by division and factions, by fighting and arguing, by theological confusion and by moral corruption. They were a mess. Let me share with you a just a, a passage from the beginning of Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no division among you, but that you be united by the same mind and in the same purpose. For it has been reported to be my Chloe's people. She, Chloe was always such a tattletale. It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Has Paul was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I didn't baptize none of you, except for Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And I did baptize the household of Stephanas, because beyond that I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might be emptied of its power. Verse 18, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It, it kind of reminds me of a scene from George Orwell's book, Animal Farm. When all the animals who have been working together to throw off the evil human oppression, their great enemy, after a while there's this blissful uh, peace that lands on the farm, but pretty soon they all start breaking into factions around the chief pigs, Snowball and Napoleon. Pretty soon, the, the animals there on the farm are chanting slogans, Vote for Snowball and the three-day week. Vote for Napoleon and the full manger. After a while, the animal uh, farm, it, it, the, this fight gets resolved as the nine puppies who are loyal to Napoleon chase Snowball right off the farm. Paul didn't have puppies. If he did, it would be a very different letter that we're reading today. 
But Paul knew what Orwell knew all those years later, that as much as we like to think about our problems as being something exterior, something out there in the world, from the enemy, away and beyond our control, they rarely are. Our problems are always in here. It's true on the farm, it's true in the church, and it's true in people. At least that's what my therapist has been trying to drill into my head for the last few months. Every time I start complaining about someone else, they remind me it's the problems are here. That was for the church members, by the way. For, I, don't, I haven't started complaining about the YouTube audience yet. Of course, there's only two of you that aren't a part of the church, so we have time. This is the church that Paul is writing to. Broken and divided, hurting and fractious. And in the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about the different ways, that the, the different issues and how Paul handles them. The question for us today is how do you move forward? How do you deal with the fractures and the divided and the cantankerous church? Paul tells us the way forward, the way past the brokenness of the present is found by focusing on the foolishness of the cross. For the word of the cross is foolishness. That's what the uh, verse 18 says. The NRSV translates the, the Greek word logos for, for uh, uh, the message about the cross. And I don't, I don't think that quite gets to what Paul's saying here. It's not so much what we're saying about the cross, but it's what the cross is saying to us. In the context of Corinthians, they were confusing the messengers with the message. Who do you affiliate with? Who do you belong to? Who baptized you? Who is your favorite preacher? Vote for Snowball. Vote for Napoleon. But Paul says it's not the, the message messenger, it's the message that's being preached. And for Paul, that message is the cross. In and through the crucifixion, God is speaking to us in the form of address. Now, in the, in the ancient world, rhetoric was, was an art form. Public speaking was entertainment. And crowds would gather to hear eloquent rhetoric and eloquent speeches about the good and the true and the beautiful. They didn't have the internet back then. And so it was something to do on the Friday night was to gather and hear someone talk. We, we probably should pause and, and have a moment of silence for how sad of an existence that is, said, ironically, the preacher to a group of people gathering on YouTube to hear someone talk. You know, you could at this point go watch Minecraft or videos or, or maybe even find Piano Cat. I'm sure it's still on the internet. You could click away and find something far more entertaining but Paul isn't concerned with entertainment. Paul is using the foolishness, the ugliness of the cross. You can't pretty up the cross. You can't make it entertaining. It was a horrible and debased form of public execution. I was reminded just this week of how old and outdated that cross actually is. And it's been that way from the beginning. There's actually a, a bit of a graffiti the archaeologists have found it. It's a famous picture called the Alexmanos Graffitio. 
And it was a mockery. A person is hung on a cross with the head of a donkey. And yet, God uses this ugliness, this foolishness to show us how great, how deep, how far God's love will go to express itself to us. This is the word of the cross. And when we get our minds, our souls, our bodies around that, those factions and divisions, those brokenness, they begin to, to fade away. Or actually, those broken places begin to be filled with the potential for redemption. Those factions begin to be filled with the possibility of faith. Karl Barth talked about faith not as a subjective experience or even as trust as we often describe it, but as a meeting, as, a, as an encounter. For Barth, faith is having heard something. It's a kind of, of knowing that we cannot live without. It is a kind of knowing that changes the world. And so our brokenness of, of church and home of body and soul and mind has been swallowed up in the broken foolishness of the cross. And when you encounter that, when you hear that word, the world is changed. Let us pray. And now, Lord Christ, may your word be spoken to us, and may the foolishness of the cross take root in our lives, that we may experience your love, and that we might see the world new. In the name of our crucified Messiah, we pray. Amen.